Today we wrap up our sermon series called Not Alone. You saw the video there. And we've been talking about the spiritual discipline of friendship. The big idea throughout this entire series has not changed. I wanted to be very clear what it was that we were saying throughout these last four weeks. So let me recap the big idea. It'll be here on your screen. Let me pull this over a little bit. This is the big idea, that we are created in the image of God. And since God is a relational being, we are built with a deep need for community and belonging. Three weeks ago, we learned that the foundation of friendship is found in the garden, that when God created Adam and Eve, uh, first it was Adam, and everything that God had created was good, except for one thing God says is not good, and that's when he saw a man alone in the garden. Right? He said it is not good for man to be alone, so he created somebody to be with him. Now, Adam had God. Adam was good with God. They walked together. They fellowshiped. There was friendship there. But still, God looked and said it was not good for man to be alone. In week two, we talked about how to navigate friendship and how do you become a good friend. And we said that there was three key principles, right? To be wise in who you establish friendships with. To avoid foolishness. Right? You could tell a lot of a person by the friends that they keep. And the third one was to spread godliness, that through your friendships you have an opportunity to spread the character and the being of God to your friends and to your loved ones. And last week we talked about conflict, right? We learned that where there's people, there's going to be what? There's going to be conflict. Wherever there's people, things are going to come up. Issues, disagreements, fights are going to happen. And we walked through how do we resolve conflict biblically. Today we want to wrap up by talking about the most important relationship that you will have in your life. In your life you will have many different relationships. You will have relationship and friendship with your spouse, with your parents, with siblings, with extended family, with classmates, your neighbors, your co-workers, associates, just people that you know in passing. But hear me well, there will be no greater relationship that you will have in this lifetime than the one that you have with God. In the many aspects of your relationship with God, we relate to God as our Father, we relate to God as our Creator, we relate to God as our Lord, our Master, our Healer, our Savior. God is your Redeemer. But God is also your friend. Now that's different. Friendship with God begins in the garden before religion, before rituals, before rules, there was friendship. It was God and His creation. And in the purity of their true purpose, we see Adam and Eve delighting in the presence of God and God delighting with His creation. It was pure. It was holy. It was right. It was the way God intended us to be with Him. But then sin comes. And sin breaks the peace with God. Sin fractures the friendship with God. And becoming a friend of God is something that becomes rare in the Old Testament. As a matter of fact, very few people are called friends of God in the Old Testament. Only two that I know of. Other people are referred to as friends, but two that are explicitly called friends 
The first one you can see here in this slide in Isaiah 41 is Abraham. Abraham is referred to as a friend of God. We see that um, Moses in Exodus 33 verse 11 is also referred to as a friend of God. That Moses would go into the tent and speak face to face with God as one speaks to a friend. There is an invitation, there is an opportunity for us to engage God, not only as Father, not only as Healer, not only as Savior, but also as Friend. Now this is different because in most Eastern religions, in most world religions, God is always seen as someone who's above, beyond human reach, cannot be encountered. In other religions, you can't have a personal, close friendship with God. In other religions, God is not even a, a being, right? He's a force. He's totally impersonable. And the unique thing about the Christian faith is that you are invited to be friends with God, to have a personal relationship with Him. The way to have a relationship with God comes through an invitation. You cannot earn this friendship. You cannot buy this friendship. You cannot be good enough to get your way in to have this friendship. But the way to have this friendship is to receive the gift of this friendship. The way to receive the gift of this friendship is through Jesus, who comes to earth, resolves the conflict of sin, and makes us right in the eyes of God. So we're no longer his enemies, but his friends. And because we're God's friends, we experience his love, his forgiveness, and his healing, and that's what changes us. The image that Scripture gives us of this of this conflict being resolved it tells us that when jesus was on the cross that the curtain in the temple was torn now here's an image of this curtain this was an immense curtain in the temple and a priest only one time a year was allowed to go behind that curtain it was behind this curtain where the holy of holies was where the presence of god was and this priest would have to prepare he would have to pray he would have to ceremoniously wash himself i mean it was a year's worth of preparation so the one time a year where the priest was able to be in god's presence that he would be holy enough to do it and this veil represented the separation between god and man not anybody could go into god's presence just one high priest but when Jesus dies on the cross and he breathes his last, the Bible tells us that this curtain from the very top to the very bottom is torn. It gets torn. And what that symbolizes is that Jesus has just changed the relationship that we have with God. There's no longer separation. There's no longer a wall that divides you in God's presence. Now all of us have access to God Almighty. Jesus is the way we receive friendship with God. This is why the writer of Romans in chapter 5 writes this. It says, For since our friendship with God was restored by the death of His Son, our friendship with God was being restored by the death of Jesus while we were still His enemies. You see, we were still in sin when Jesus went to the cross. We were enemies of God, but because Jesus went there and this veil was torn, now we have become his friends. Our friendship with God restored. We will certainly be saved through the life of his son. So now we can rejoice 
have joy eternal in our wonderful new relationship with God because our Lord Jesus has done what? Has made us friends of God. We can't earn it. You can't buy it. You can't manipulate your way into this friendship. It's about the grace and love of God, and you receive it by faith. So my plan with you and my time with you is is to give you three realities of your relationship, of your friendship with God. What does it mean for you to have friendship with God? There's three realities which Jesus speaks of, which we'll study. And then I want to share with you, um, and I got this as full disclosure, I got this from Pastor Rick Warren, uh, five ways to build your friendship with God, okay? So three realities, what does it mean to be a friend of God? What does that mean to you? And then how do you build that friendship? Five steps to build that friendship. So join me in your Bibles in the Gospel of John chapter 15. John chapter 15. And this is Jesus. He's sitting at the Last Supper. He knows he's about to go to the cross. And he has this last teaching with his group, with his friends. These are his disciples. They have walked three years together on the most amazing journey any of them could ever have dreamed of walking on. And this is Jesus' last teaching. And you know, there's something powerful about the last words that you share with the people that you love. I've been able to be there with some as they were going through their last moments of life. And it's interesting that in those last moments, uh, there's no beating around the bush. There's no small talk. The weather, the bears, the socks, the cubs, those things no longer matter. What matters is what's important. And this is Jesus knowing that his time is near, so he's teaching his disciples what's important. So let us listen to the words of Jesus our Lord. Beginning in verse 9 here, these are the words of Jesus. He says, I have loved you even as the Father has loved me. Remain in my love. When you obey my commandments, you remain in my love, just as I obey my Father's commandments and remain in his love. I have told you these things so that you may be filled with my joy. Yes, your joy will overflow. This is my commandment. Interesting here that Jesus starts with commandments. Now he's narrowing down to one. Love each other in the same way I have loved you. The way Jesus has loved us. Then he quantifies it. There is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. Now listen to the words of Jesus here. These words would have shocked the disciples who were listening. Jesus, the Master, the Messiah, God made flesh, looks at other human beings and says, you are my friends if you do what I command. What we learn here and what we see Jesus talking about over and over is the reality of when you are a friend of God, you are loved. You are loved. That means that the love of Jesus is given to you. It's there. It's given to you. And Jesus says, I love you the way the Father loves me. How does the Father love Jesus? It's a love that's unconditional. It's a remarkable love. There's no beginning to this love. There's no end 
to this love. There's no measure. You cannot measure this love. This love changes somebody. This love is close and this love is personal. And this is the same love that Jesus has for you. Jesus says, remain in this love. Stay in it. Be connected. You see, Jesus it was just teaching about the vine and how He is the vine. And we, when we remain in Him, we remain connected with Him. And He's the one who gives us life. So Jesus says, remain in this love. How many of you know that we wander? Man, things get our attention. We get hooked on a TV show. We get hooked on an activity. We get hooked on sports. We get hooked on drugs. We get hooked on relationships with people we know we should never be in. And we have a tendency to wander off, to walk away from Jesus. But Jesus is saying, look, remain in me the way I have remained in the Father. It's interesting, too, that Jesus says, don't remain in my power Don't remain in my authority or my wisdom or my devotion or my compassion even. Jesus chooses one thing that we are to remain in, and that is his love. And let me make it very clear to you today, in case you've never heard this, I don't care what you've done. I don't care who you've done it with. I don't even care how long you've done it. Regardless of what your background is, let me tell you well today in case you never heard it. God is richly, deeply, madly in love with you. If you've never heard it, now you know. Jesus says, I have loved you. And and what we see in Jesus is this example of this love. And he says, because I have loved you, Now follow my command and love others with the same love that I've given you. You see, Jesus was sent here to give us his love, and we are sent out now to share that love. You see, Jesus came here to die for us so that we could go out and live for him. You see, Jesus came here and through his obedience to his Father, showed us His love. And now because we have the love of Jesus, we can obey Him. You see, this is where the world gets it wrong when they wonder, when they look at you and they say, why do you obey God? You know, you Christians are so restricted. You guys can't do anything fun. You guys can't do all the stuff that feels good. I mean, why do you guys obey God? Here's what the world thinks. They think we obey because we fear God. They think we obey because we're obligated to it. They think we obey because it's our duty. They think we obey God because we got this guilty conscience. That's not why we obey God. You know why we obey God? I obey God because He loves me. What empowers you to obey God is that you've experienced the hope and the purpose that comes only from Him. And you see, this is where the world gets it wrong when they think, oh, you guys can't have any fun. No, l- l- listen, next time somebody tells you that, this is, what you, this is how you should respond. You should tell them, look, I, I could get high on every drug known to man. I could do that. I could sleep with as many women as I want to. I could do that. I could go out there and drink whatever. I could do that if I wanted to do that. But here's what's changed. Because I love God, 
I no longer want to do that. I don't want to do that. Why? Because there's no high that you could get from a pill or a bottle that will ever fulfill you completely and fully like the high that you get knowing that God loves you. Never will fill it. Never will fill it. You see, every drug, every bottle, every, every you know, substance that you take is a temporary covering for a longing that you have that is only filled by the deep love of God for you. And I am wise enough to know, because I know this love, that that's nothing but a cheap substitute that will give me a temporary moment of pleasure, but will lead me down a path of darkness. Hey, any relation, I could get in a relationship that's going to fill me, that's going to make me happy, whatever that means, and that's always changing. But there's no amount of sex, there's no amount of relationship that will ever give me my value and my worth, like knowing how much God loves me and what his worth and value is to him and his eyes for me. That will never fill me. It will never fill you. You see, the world has it wrong. Why do we obey God? It's not because we have to. It's not because we're obligated to. It's because we know how much He loves us. That's why Jesus says, Remain in my love. You are my friends if you do what I command. This is important because it's this love that changes you. It's this love that fills you. It's this love that compels you. And listen, one thing is true. You can never give what you don't have. And if we're going to be people who are called to go and share the love of God, you must know first that when you are a friend of God, that you are loved. That you are loved. Jesus says, I have loved you as the Father has loved me. He continues there in verse 15, and he says, I no longer call you slaves because a master doesn't confide in his slaves. Now you are my friends, since I have told you everything the Father told me. The second reality of being a friend of God is one, that you're loved. The second one is that you're close. That means the throne of Jesus is open to you. Jesus just said, look, you're no longer a slave. Uh, kings, masters, they don't confide in slaves. They confide in friends. Friends have access to the king. And when you have access to the king, you hear the king's conversations. You know the plans of the kingdom. You understand what the king is up to. Why? Because you have closeness with the king. And when you are a friend of Jesus, you are close to God's throne. Jesus says, everything that the Father's told me, I've told you. You have access. You have privilege to this friendship. This is radical. That we could be close to God. The word for friend here in the Greek is the word where we would get best man. Think about that. When a groom is getting married, and just yesterday there was a couple that got married right here. And right to the shoulder of the groom was his best man. Right off his shoulder. What God is saying, what Jesus is saying is, look, look, in my relationship with you, you're my best man. Now that's not male or female. That's not gender specific, right? It's saying all of us have closeness. We have the access to the inner circle of the king. You know, rulers and authorities, they usually have three types of friends. 
three types of friends. They're right here. There's constituents. Those are people who are for the things that you're for. We're on the same team because you represent me and what you're for, I'm for. But once you fall out of line of what I'm for, mm, I don't know where we're going to stand. Rulers, authorities also have comrades. Now comrades are different than constituents because comrades are against the same things that you're against. So we're comrades. We're in this battle together. We're both against this. But once that battle is fought and won, you know, okay, my use for you is done. I'm going to walk away from you. That's not really a friend. That person is not for you. They're for the things that you're against. A constituent isn't really for you. They're for the things that you're for. But a confidant, a confidant is not really about what you're for or what you're against. That person is for you. And what Jesus is saying is the kind of friend you're going to have in me is a confidant, a best man, a close personal friendship. And just like anyone who wants to walk into the presence of the king knows that there's protocols. No one could just enter a king's court and walk up to the king and say, hey, king, how are you? No, there's distance. You have to bow. There's protocols. There's rules. But a person close to the king, a confidant of the king, can walk right to the throne. When Jesus says, you are my friends, he's saying, you are my confidants. You are my best man. We're close to him. Doesn't mean we're equal to him. We should never think because we're friends with God that we're equal to God. We're not equal to him, but we have access to him. Hosea, the prophet, says this in verse uh, 6 of chapter 6. It says, these are the words of God. He says, I want you to show love not offer sacrifices. What does God want for us? He wants our love. He doesn't want our sacrifice. I want you to know me. What is the desire of God? God wants you to get to know Him. And when you are a friend of God, you have the closeness, the openness of His throne to get to know God in ways that you never dreamed possible. Why is this important? Because this is our purpose. Hear me well this morning. The reason why you are alive, the reason why God puts you on this earth is not to have success. It's not to raise great kids. It's not to make lots of money. It's not to build a beautiful family. Those are blessings and those are great. But your purpose of being here in this earth is to know God and to love God. That's your purpose. To know Him and to love Him. And if we miss that, if you go through life never knowing God, never loving God, you have missed the purpose of your life. J.I. Packer, a great theologian, author of a book called Knowing God, listen to what he says. He says, what makes life worthwhile is having a big enough objective, something which catches our imagination and lays hold of our allegiance. This is what we, we hear people say all the time. I know people who don't even know God who say, you know, I want to live for something bigger than myself. Have you ever heard somebody say that before? I want to live for something bigger. That's what makes life worthwhile. And this the Christian has. 
in a way that no other person has. For what higher, more exalted, and more compelling goal can there be in your life but to know God? Is there anything higher than that? Is there any objective more important than knowing God? You see, through Jesus, one of the realities that we know is that we have closeness to Him. You get to know God. In verse 16, Jesus finished this. He says, You didn't choose Me. I chose you. I appointed you to go and produce lasting fruit so that the Father will give you whatever you ask for using My name. This is My command. Love each other. Jesus reminding them, look, you didn't choose Me. I chose you. You are appointed to go and produce fruit that's going to last. So the third reality, one, you're loved. Two, you are close. Three, you are appointed. You are appointed when you are a friend of God. You've been chosen. That means His blessing is available to you. Because whoever God appoints, God always anoints. What is the anointing? Is the blessing of God. The equipping for the mission is the anointing. The appointing is the selection. If God appoints you, He will anoint you. This is important because it checks our pride. None of these men were wise enough to recognize that this was Jesus, the Messiah. They were not smart enough. They were not with it enough. But God chose them. They didn't choose Jesus. We like to choose the fancy teachers, the popular teachers, the smart people, and we like to attach ourselves to them. The disciples didn't do this here. Jesus chose them. So Jesus is reminding them, remember, I appointed you. Being appointed should give us confidence because it makes us understand that we are already accepted in the eyes of God. God would never appoint you if you were not already accepted. And so many people live their life trying to earn God's acceptance if they only knew that God has already appointed you, chosen you, selected you, set you apart for a mission that only you could complete. That's a reality when you are a friend of God. Man, isn't it good to be a friend of God? Now what do we do with this appointing? We are to produce fruit. Fruit is interesting. Fruit is the outward symbol. Fruit is the outward symbol. It's visible of the work that God is doing inside of you. You see the fruit on a tree, on a lemon tree, on a grapefruit tree, on a peach tree, any kind of tree. The fruit is the outside work of what the vines on the inside are doing. Now just like a tree doesn't need to groan and moan and say, oh, produce this fruit. You know, a lemon tree isn't saying, oh, produce lemons. Oh, let me work. Oh, let me sweat. A lemon tree doesn't do that. A lemon tree naturally produces fruit. Why? Because it's in its DNA to produce fruit. The fruits of the Spirit, when you are born of the Spirit, it's in your DNA to produce it. It should never be man-made results. Jesus never says, go out and get me results. Because results are your effort, your work. 
The fruit is never your work. The fruit is the Spirit's work in you. Now what's interesting about fruit is every fruit that's made has seed for it to continue. That means it's lasting. That means this fruit isn't a one-off. That means that the fruit that's produced, the apple that's produced from the tree inside of the tree, produces the fruit. Inside of the apple is what? Seed. And that seed continues producing fruit. This is what Jesus means, that your fruit should be long-lasting. Listen, things born of the Spirit are never temporary. They're always eternal. And the fruit that you bear is not temporary. The fruit that you bear is eternal. And God's so good that it's in your DNA to produce. It's in your DNA to produce this lasting fruit. And why is this important? Because God is sending you on mission. He's entrusted you. But to whoever God entrusts or appoints, God will entrust you, but He will also equip you. That's why He says, look, whatever you ask for in My name, I will give it to you. Because I'm sending you out. You're going to need me. Why do we pray? Some of you, maybe you're new here, and you say, why do they always end prayers by saying, in Jesus' name? This is why. Because it's never in our name. It's never in New Life's name. It's never in a ministry's name. It's in the name of Jesus. Jesus says, whatever you ask for in my name will be given to you. So we ask for it in his name. This is the link to prayer to say that the anointing for the appointing is received through prayer. Right before this, Jesus had taught them in John 15.5, He said, look, apart from Me, you could do nothing. You could do nothing apart from Me. So pray to Me so that you might receive the anointing for the appointing. So the reality of being a friend of God is that you are loved. The love of Jesus is given to you. The reality of being a friend of God is that you are close, that the throne of Jesus is open to you. And the third reality of being a friend of God is that you are appointed. The blessing of God is available to you. Now let me wrap it up with this. I want to share with you five steps to building a friendship with God. Okay, This is from Pastor Rick Warren. I think these are just really good practical steps, and I want to share them with you, okay? And I'm going to run through these a little bit quick. How do you build this friendship with God that lets you be loved, lets you be close, and that you know that you're appointed? The first one is this. These are just super practical steps. I want you to take notes like your life depends on it right now, because you know what? Your life does. Number one, make knowing God your number one priority. That needs to be your number one priority. Listen, you cannot become a friend of God if it's only done on your spare time. Oh, when I have time, when I get around to it, if that's how you're going to handle your friendship with God, you'll never be a friend of God. It's got to be a daily step. What makes a good day for you? Is it how much you accomplish? Is it how many bills you pay? Is it that you and your wife didn't kill each other? Is it that the kids are getting good grades? I mean, what is it that makes a good day a good day to you? Let me redefine what a good day should be to you. Those other things, hey, those are great. If you had a productive day, praise God. If you didn't fight with your wife, 
praise God. If your kids were doing great that day, praise God. But that shouldn't be what defines a good day. You know what should define a good day to you? Did you get to know God more that day? Did I get to know God more today? Even if it's one step closer, hey, that's a good day. That's a good day. Knowing Him, getting to know Him makes it a good day. Jeremiah 29, 13 says, Look for me with all your heart, and there you will find me. Are you searching for God every day with your whole heart? Can you honestly say that you're doing that? Are you doing this? Are you wholeheartedly searching for God? Because when you do, you will find Him. Philippians 3.8, Paul says, Look, everything else, everything else in this world is worthless, it's garbage, compared to the infinite value of what? Knowing God. Do you consider everything else worthless? Is your number one priority knowing God? Listen, we have no room for excuses. Author and theologian J. Oswald Sanders, he said this, We are at this moment as close to God as we really choose to be. You cannot blame your wife for not being close to God. You cannot blame your job, your finances, your addictions, your car, anything. You get to choose how close you are to God. You and you alone. No excuses. And remember, what is the purpose of life? The purpose of life is to love and to know God. The pleasure that we receive from that is that we are now known and loved by Him. You see, your priorities will determine what you value. Your priorities will determine what you value. Have you ever noticed what people value most is what they talk about the most? It's what they brag about. There's some people, man, they really value their kids. And every little accomplishment that their kids do, they're showing you pictures. Hey, here's little Johnny's trumpet outing, and here's his you know, graduation, and here's his birthday, and look, he passed the test, and look at little George, you know, did this, and little Betsy did that, and their kids are their value, their, their priority, they're bragging on them constantly, other people brag about their car, oh yeah, man, look at the new rims, look at the brake job, look at the window tint, look at the sounds, man, this is my car, other people brag about their vacations, oh yeah, this is me in Europe, this is me in Africa, this is me in the river, this is me in the mountains, this is me here, you know, it's like, whatever people value, they're gonna brag about, right? Some people brag about their bank account. Oh, the 401k is kicking really good this year. What you value is what you're going to speak and what you're going to brag about. Do you brag on God? Listen to Jeremiah 29, or chapter 9, verse 23 and 24. This is what the Lord says. Don't let the wise boast in their wisdom. Don't let them boast in their power. Don't boast in your riches. But those who wish to boast, they should boast in this alone, that they truly know me and that they understand that I am the Lord. This is what the wise boast about. Man, let me tell you what God has been saying to me lately. Because his voice is clear. That's what the wise boast on. So number one, make knowing God your number one priority. Number two, slow down. And be quiet. I know this is very hard for some of you because you are not the type to slow down and you're definitely not the type to be quiet. Just like any other friendship in life, it takes investment, it takes time spent with somebody to get value from them. No relationship is built without giving time. 
So you know the scripture? It's from Psalms. Be still and know that he is God. Would you be still so that you could hear his voice for once in your life? You want to build friendship with God? Slow down. Quiet. So you could hear. The message translation, man, I've been getting into the message translation. I have a whole new appreciation for it because it's just so much in your face. Some of us in our relationship with God, we love to make this big show about it. Listen what it, the message translation says in the Gospel of Matthew chapter 6 and verse 5 and 6. It says, and when you come before God, don't turn that into a theatrical production. Here's what I want you to do. Words of Jesus. He's teaching us how to pray, how to engage, how to get close to him. Here's what I want you to do, he says. Find a quiet, secluded place so you won't be tempted to role play before God. Because, man, have you ever seen people who get into a crowd? They love to role play. The actor or the actress in them comes out. Jesus is saying, hey, find a quiet place where it's just me and you. Just be there as simply and honestly as you can manage. And focus, the focus will shift from you to God and you will begin to sense His grace. Be still and be quiet. That's how you build a relationship with God. Number three, you have to know the friendships that you want the most. You have to know the friendships you want the most. Listen, if you're going to choose to be friends with every single person that you know, you will not have any time left for God. Plain and simple. In the Living Bible translation here in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 1, it says, Some of these people have missed the most important thing in life. They don't know God. The most important thing. Oh, they know the stats of every sports team that you could think of. They know everything happening on the news. They know the latest Hollywood gossip. You know the top songs on the charts. You know the coolest trends in shoes and fashion. You know all the fads when it comes to foods and you have the greatest recipes that you know how to make. You have all that. You know all that, but you don't know God. How do we miss our purpose in life of knowing and loving God? You know how you miss that purpose? It's plain. It's simple. You care more about other things. You care more about building friendships in other things than building your friendship with God. Some people will say, you know, it's just I have a lot of problems. No, 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 you don't understand. I got problems. So I got to fix those problems. How can I come before God when I have all these problems? Hear me, you could spend your whole life focusing on problems and you will miss your purpose. Because you just focused on problems. J.I. Packer, again, I'm going to quote him. He says, Once you become aware that the main business that you are here for is to know God, once you know that, once you become aware that your main purpose here is to know God, most of life's problems fall into place on their own accord. You see, 
you could spend your whole life focused on problems and you'll never know your purpose. But when you know your purpose, you begin to understand the root of your problems. Some people want to solve their problems first before they get to purpose. God wants to give you your purpose so he could help you solve your problems. We have it backwards. We have it backwards. So know what friendships you want the most. It's got to be him that you want most. It's got to be him that you care about most, more than anything else. Number four, maintain a constant conversation with God. 1 Thessalonians 5.17 says, Never stop praying. Never stop praying. Listen, you cannot build a relationship, a friendship with God if you only come and meet with him on Sundays. You can't build a relationship with anybody if it's just an hour a week, one day. You have to talk to God about anything, all things, anywhere, at all times. If some of us prayed more like the way we post, we would do better in this situation. There's some people that post everything. Having lunch, going to the beach, at the store, wash the car, watching a movie, getting ready for bed. If we prayed like we post, we would have more of that conversation with God. God, I'm eating lunch right now. Thank you that you provided this meal. Man, Lord, I'm at the beach. Look at this amazing creation that you have that I get to enjoy. Man, God, thank you for the quiet time that I get to spend with my family. Thank you that I have a roof and Netflix. And God, now that I'm going to bed, bless me with restful sleep. If we pray, do you see... It doesn't need to be fancy. It doesn't need to be hyper-theological. It doesn't have to be in the... You don't have to speak King James's with the thouest and willest and goest and mayest. You don't need to speak to God like that. You speak to Him the way I'm speaking to you right now. It's constant conversation. How do you build a friendship with God? You, you converse with Him. In a weird way, I'm kind of talking to Him right now as I'm talking to you. Because in my spirit, I'm saying, God, help me teach this well. Help people understand that they can have a constant conversation with you. You don't have to knock on the door. You don't have to ask for permission. Remember, the, the veil is torn. You can walk into God's presence and say, God, I'm here. Let me tell you what I'm thinking. I'm at work. I'm about to go in this meeting. You need to help me stay calm because I want to snap. Have a constant conversation with God. That's how you build a friendship with him. Never stop praying. The last one, trust God in your pain. Trust God in your pain. Friendships are built on trust. If there's no trust, there's no friendship. And this is hard, but part of having that conversation and part of understanding that you're loved and that you're close and that you're appointed is that it allows you to trust God when things don't make sense. It allows you to trust God when things seem backwards. It allows you to trust God when your soul is hurting and you feel crushed. It allows you to trust God when you're super confused and you don't know what's up, what's down, what's in, what's out, what's right, what's wrong. It allows you to trust God, man, when you just flat out feel like I'm drowning. 
building a friendship with God means you trust him in your pain. That's why Psalms 55.22 says, look, give your burdens to the Lord. Give it to him. You know what give means here? It means give. (laughs) Release it. Drop it. I don't know what you're going through. I don't know what you're burdened with. I don't know what's overwhelming you. I don't know what's stressing you out. But God knows and he's telling you, give me your burdens. And he will take care of you. He will not permit the godly to slip and to fall. Trust him in your pain. Let it go. God uses pain. God will allow pain in your life to draw you closer to him. Have you ever noticed that when you're in pain, your prayer just gets more intense? When you're in pain, you're not, oh, Father God, oh, Lord Jesus, if thou be... When you're in pain, you're saying, God, help me! I'm drowning right now. I need you. It's you or it's nothing. God will allow some pain in your life. But the way God uses pain, I love the way C.S. Lewis says it. He's said it the best way. And you know this quote already. He says, pain insists upon being attended to. When you're in pain, you cannot ignore it. If it's a real pain, you cannot ignore it. You have to attend to it. And God whispers to us in our pleasures. When things are going great and when everything's awesome, God's whispering to you. God's whispering to you, right? He speaks in our consciousness. We hear God's voice clearly in the way we decide, in the way we live. But He shouts to us in our pain. He grabs your attention through pain. It's His megaphone to wake up a world that's deaf. And some of you for so long have been wondering, why have I suffered for so long? Listen to me. God is trying to wake you up. To bring you close to Him. So that you don't miss your purpose in life of loving Him and knowing Him. You see, yeah, praise God for that. Listen, uh, uh, read the Psalms of David. David did not hold back. David would shout and yell and lament and cry and accuse and God's big enough to handle that, okay? God is not afraid of your fears, of your failures, of your anxieties, of your loss. He doesn't see it as weakness. He sees it as authenticity. That's you being real. And whenever you approach God, He wants you to be real. And that means trusting Him in your pain, in your worst pain. 